Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Misham New Cult, the 26th. My name is Adam, and today I am going to give you my spoiler review of Before the Mask by Michael Williams and Terry Williams. I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know it, stop watching now. I would like to take a moment to thank the members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below and remind you that you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials of any edition by using the affiliate links also in that same description below. Now, this is my perspective only, so if yours differs in any way, I would love to hear it personally. So I invite you to, if you're joining us live, put your thoughts in the chat there. And if you're watching this after the fact, put them in the comments. I think life is more interesting with uh, observing other people's perspectives and being open to those perspectives, I think is a sign of a healthy human being. So let's all be healthy human beings. <laughs> all right. Hey, Solid, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. All right. So uh, the way these work is I'm going to read you a pre-written review, and then I'm going to just give you my thoughts. So if you have anything that you want to just throw out there about Dragonlance or Verminard or anything, really, put them in the chat and I will uh, get into it with you. And, you know, we'll just sort of riff for a little bit. For me, this is my weekend, like the very beginning of my weekend. So I got nothing else going on. Servant isn't out till tomorrow, which if you're not watching that, you're missing out on a great mystery thriller series. And uh, Andrew, good to see you. Thanks for joining live. Nice. Just got off work. Okay. Let's get into this, shall we? The story begins with Verminard's birth. Dagrafin, Lord of Nidus, has a friendship with Lord Laka Dragonbane of East Borders, a descendant of Huma. Both lords' wives are pregnant, months apart. As Dagrafin is attending a dinner at Laka's castle, Laka suggests that it's in fact his son in Dagrafin's wife's belly. Now, I'm just putting this out there if uh you have a friend doing this like taunting that your pregnant wife is actually his kid is not really a friend <laughs> just i want to lay the groundwork here so this taunting goes on all throughout the night until he's challenged and his wife doesn't in fact deny it so apparently in the past the lord luca came to hunt and stayed behind and it's never really addressed whether it was Luca who seduced Dagrafin's wife or vice versa, but they did in fact have sex, and that baby inside of Dagrafin's wife's belly is in fact Luca Dragonbane's. Now, this may come as a shock to you as it came to me, as Luca Dragonbane is presented as a Knight of Salamnia. So why would a Knight of Salamnia have sex with his friend's wife? and still be considered a good knight of Salamnia? I, I don't know. I don't know. And why would the descendant, the heir of Huma Dragonbane's legacy be a cuckold? <laughs> or, or go around cuckolding other people? I don't know. But apparently that's a thing. So, you know, if you have a friend that's a descendant of Huma Dragonbane, don't leave him with your significant other. At least not alone. So, this leads to Dagrafin force-marching through the night, through the Taman Busik, with his son uh, and his wife in a blizzard, his pregnant wife. They're rescued by a druid of Paladine who has been granted immortality and has lived for over 3,000 years, apparently. I believe since the time of Huma. It's prophesied that... Prophesied? Prophesied? 
well, it's foretold <laughs> that two of Huma's descendants will battle it out and one will turn to evil, greater evil than his surrogate father. This seems to be a setup by Tachesis to corrupt the lineage of Huma. Dagrafin doesn't accept the child as his, as clearly it's not, and it's born in the cave of the Druid, and uh, Verminard ends up naming it, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Dagrafin ends up naming the child Verminard as an insult. So his son sees the baby as his brother, and the mother ends up dying in childbirth. Now, this is another point where you start asking, why didn't it mention the wife's name? Like, this is Verminard's mother. Why would that not be a significant part? But it's an actual theme that runs through this entire novel. The only women who have names, or are actually given names in any way, are the Druidas, Druids or Druidesses? I don't know, the Druids that work on behalf of Paladine. Every other woman is just a her. <laughs> it's really bizarre. It just stood out to me when I was reading it. It really kind of bugged me. So Dagrafin and his sons return to the castle years later after falling away from the knighthood and shunning the order. Dagrafin enacts a Gabonaud. You may ask, what the hell is a Gabonaud? Just as like I did. And I'm going to tell you, it's an exchange of sons. So apparently this rite, this Gabonaud, this ritual of sorts, happens when you want to bind two houses by exchanging sons. Now, Dagrafin wants to exchange Verminard for Luca's son. The problem is, is that the Gabonaud defines the exchange of sons as the firstborn sons. And Dagrafin didn't know that, apparently. So he goes to the exchange expecting to get rid of this half-son of his. It's not even really his. It's his cheating wife's and Luca's that he's giving back to in exchange for Luca's son. And... Luca's like, ha ha ha, I'm not taking that bastard. Meanwhile, it's his son! It's, it's Luca's son! And he's laughing that he's not going to get his own son back. It's so bizarre. And he's a knight of Salamnia. He's supposed to be the good guy. Crazy. Alright, so it's already infuriating me on every, every aspect of this book. However, there's parts that really actually make me enjoy it. And so it's like this weird uh, sort of push and pull of my emotions at the beginning. That all changes at the end. But at the beginning, I'm sort of like, God, do I like it? Do I not like it? This is weird. Why do they make these decisions? That doesn't really make sense, but it's still Verminard. And anyway, so they make the exchange, but it has to be with Dagrafin's first son. So another question is, are there no other lords at all in the Taman Busick or Estwild? Like, why is Dagrafin only trading, doing this sun trade pact with the dude who cuckolded him? What's the point? Why are you going back to the dude that slept with your wife? That doesn't make any sense. But hey, that's what they're doing. So, they trade the sons. <laughs> so, Verminard actually gets... His actual half-brother, while losing another half-brother, Abelard. Forced to follow through the right, he hands his son over, except Luca's son, Aglaka, uh, the true half-brother of Verminard. Aglaka is the opposite of Verminard in every way, as Luca is still the knight of Salamnia, so he worships the gods of good, while sleeping with other people's wives. 
And Verminard is taught the gods of evil by the guy who didn't sleep with someone else's wife. There's a consistent whisper in Verminard's head pressing him to kill Aglaka, and a warning in Aglaka's head that Verminard will in fact kill him. This whispering changes throughout the, the novel, and a couple different things change too. It's very inconsistent. So instead of the whisper telling Aglaka that his brother's going to kill him, it's like, you need to worship me and do what I say, which is exactly what Verminard's hearing. So Tachesis is like whispering in both of their ears, tormenting one, and then trying to get that one to come on her side. But if she really wanted him to come on her side and be her champion, why is she telling him that her brother, his brother's going to kill him? That doesn't make any sense. Why does she even address the brother at all? Just promise him wealth and power and whatever. Like, Tachesis is the stupidest goddess full stop in this novel. So, the fact that there is this good son from the same father and a bad son from the same father is interesting, sort of. It's an interesting juxtaposition, but it's a bit contrived for my taste. So they go on a hunt, and Aglaka thinks he's protecting Verminard by joining him in the vanguard. But it's not what Verminard wants, because Verminard's father, Dagrifin, hates him. And, and there's nothing that Verminard can do to make Dagrifin like him, because it's not even his son. So... Like, he's like, hey, dad, I want to go on the vanguard and prove to you that I'm a, a competent and powerful warrior. And his father finally relents, expecting him just to die and get rid of him anyway. So he's like, I don't care. Go do your thing. And then Aglock is like, no, I want to go. He's trying to help Verminar. And he ends up, like, you know, adding more discord and tension between the two in the process. And during the hunt, they lose their hunt master in the process, hunting a centicore. Now... I have no idea what a centicore is. Are they talking about a manticore? Or are they talking about a centaur? Or are they talking about a centicore, which is a mix between a centaur and a manticore? Because the description of the creature does not fit either of those beasts. And so I'm just assuming, well, maybe it's like an AD&D or AD&D second edition creature I don't know about when this was written. But I couldn't find anything in a cursory search online. So maybe it was just a typo, but if it was a typo, it was repeated multiple times in the exact same way. So it's weird, right? All right. So I have no idea what a centicore is, but it apparently has horns and it's really smart. So Dagerfin disregards Verminard's kill of the centicore due to the loss of the hunter and the boys return home. On the way home, they witness a young maiden being chased by Narakans, who also attack Dagrafin's group. They do their best to rally and escape, but the young woman will stay in Verminard and even Aglaka's mind moving forward. In fact, even as much time has passed, Verminard is still insistent about rescuing this woman, and he uses Serestes, his magic teacher, to cast runes and learn the future. He interprets the omens as if he should rescue her and sets out to do so. This will end up being the choice that not only defines Verminard moving forward, but also reveals Ember the dragon for the first time in thousands of years, and also Tachesis' plans. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it, man. So Verminard and Aglaka, much to Verminard's dismay, go to search for this woman to rescue her. They end up in Naraka and the tunnels underneath the city in order to find her cell, thanks to Tachesis' voice that's actively talking to the brothers, guiding them. 
Glock is ignoring the voice and Verminard's listening to it. They rescue the woman named Judith from Salamnia, or Salanthus, and we learn that Ember has plans to deceive Tachesis while Tachesis wants Judith to lead her to the druid that birthed the, or that midwifed the birth of Verminard. Her name was uh, Lindasha Iman. Um, and that that druid would be able to show Tachesis where the Green Genstone Man is so that she can then complete her temple and enter Kryn. They escape Naraka through the tunnels, but the Narakans give chase, and the ogres from the mountains set fires all around them and hunt them. They find themselves in a sacred cave of Tachesis, where she presents Verminard with the offer of service and power. He accepts and takes the magical mace artifact that Tachesis crafts for him, and we all know it as his famous mace. Why he's on the cover of this book with a sword, I will never know, because he doesn't ever use a sword. <laughs> he only uses his damn mace. So they set out back to return back to Castle Nidus. Meanwhile, what the, all of the castle learns that these two young lords are completely missing and no one knows where the hell they are. The entire castle is forced to go looking for them. They're waylaid by the fires and the ogres and try to return to their castle, which is under siege by said ogres. Tachesis then, in order to rescue everyone, demands that Ember reveal himself as a dragon and protect Judith, Eglaka, and Verminard. And as the men and ogres are all paralyzed with dragon awe as Ember flies overhead, terrorizing the ogres and stuff, Verminard, who is unaffected because of the mace, kills all the stunned ogres. Lindasha Iman comes down from her mountain and rescues Lord Dagerfin's seneschal named Robert and meets up with the three to return to Castle Nidus. Now we know why Tachesis wants the bloodline of Huma. She wants to corrupt it or totally end it. And Verminard's magic teacher is actually Ember, his future mount. I'm getting mad nostalgia vibes from this novel in a very real and very good way at this point, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Boy, naive Adam when he wrote that. <laughs> Didn't understand what was about to come. So, with the apparent heroism of Verminard defeating so many ogres, the castle's denizens are now more loyal to him than Dagrafin, and over time, Dagrafin is actually locked in his tower as Verminard takes control of the castle. It turns out that Lindasha and Robert fall in love, but since she's sworn to Paladine's service in order to protect the rune that would then, if Tachesis got it, reveal where the Everman is, she cannot return his love, though she wants to. So she asks Robert to collect Judith, as she's supposed to, uh, aid Lindash in the future, and bring her back here. Robert returns to the castle to see this incredible changes in power. Ember is summoned to Tachesis, who has been reading his mind about his treachery and threatens his destruction. Ember ends up bowing down to Tachesis while uh, uh, to her will and swears to be Verminard's mount. Verminard is convinced to attack East Border's castle by Tachesis, of course, where Luca Dragonbane, whom is descendant and Verminard's true father, lives to reclaim his birthright. Though, in fact, it's really just to end the Dragonbane line. Verminard's met outside the castle by a bunch of knights and defeats every single one of them. He stops short of killing Luca as he discovers his wounded half-brother Abelard has been blinded by him. He returns to his castle and realizes that he cannot get rid of the mace. It compels him to use it, much like the One Ring in The Lord of the Rings, and he struggles with his desire to be free of it. His other half-brother, Aglaka, is now with Judith romantically, and he reaches out to Paladine, who grants him a spell to, cast, uh, to cancel all evil magic uh, in the area. 
Verminard asks, uh, has asked Eglaka to be his lieutenant or leave the castle. But if Eglaka leaves, Verminard will then take Judith. So Eglaka looks for this third option to allow Verminard to choose his family and honor. He hopes to dispel the magic of the mace in order to free Verminard from its uh, influence. The action is not realized, and Ember, in the guise of Serestes, uh, the wizard that's been teaching Verminard magic, murders Eglaka after Verminard stopped him from casting the spell and defeating Serestes. At this point, you aren't really sure if Verminard is actually in control of himself at all. The narrative suggests that he's struggling and eventually accepts Tachesis' lies and bargains, but he still resists her sometimes. It's really odd. In either case, Laka comes to the castle in order to attack Castle Nidus, as Verminard is completely losing his mind. Dagrafin is confronted by Robert, and he has clearly lost his mind and falls out of the tower balcony window. Robert can't leave the castle with Judith now that it's in lockdown under siege, so they wait the, until they see what the outcome is. Verminard is told by Tachesis that Ember is designing a helmet to cover the scar that Aglaka gave him in that battle, which is a traditional Dragon High Lord armor, and it just glosses over him becoming a cleric of Tachesis. Like, this is another confusing point, and it, it, it happened throughout the whole entire book. He was taking magic lessons from a wizard named Serestes, which was actually Ember the Dragon. At what point was that supposed to be divine magic lessons? The whole time, it's all arcane magic. And it's not like Ember the Dragon was a cleric of Tachesis in order to teach him how to use magic. So he just went from learning arcane magic his entire life to suddenly being a cleric like that. <laughs> totally unconnected from everything. It makes no sense. So... <laughs> Um, it, it does, in fact, fit with the obscure nature of this overall story because none of it makes sense when you start to think about it. Verminard finally mounts Ember with his armor and burns everyone and everything, flying off to an army that Tachesis told him is waiting for his command in Estwild. Even Robert and Judith were supposed to be burned, only to have been saved by a necklace that Verminard found in Lindasha's cave and gifted to Judith as he was trying to court her. They return to Lindasha, and Paladine is there, where Judith and Lindasha switch places so that Lindasha and Robert can finally be together. The whole point was that uh, she, the druid needed a druidess to help her protect the rune that Tachesis was after. But Tachesis gave up looking for it after Verminard burned his home. So what was the point of that storyline? Like, the entire rune storyline which was the whole point of involving Lindasha and Judith, is totally dropped and ignored. Tachesis' desire to end the Dragonbane line by sacking Castle Dragonbane is forgotten. And it's not like, it's not like a side note, like, oh, and he went and destroyed everyone. No, it just, it just doesn't happen. They just ignore it. They spent half the book building up these storylines just to drop them at the drop of a hat. It's like they were running out of time and they just had to finish. It just falls apart and it becomes totally meaningless. Not to mention the entire Lu uh, Luca Dragonbane storyline of him betraying his friend's marriage and sleeping with Dagrafin's wife. At no point do any of the wives have any names or any culpability in their husband's actions. How is Laka an honorable Salamnic knight as presented when he cheated on his wife and his friend with his friend's wife? 
then ignores that Verminard is his actual son. It is the most unhonorable thing that any man could possibly do, let alone a Salandic Knight. And why doesn't anyone address whether it's willful infidelity or rape? Because there's pretty big differences. In either case, Locke is a douchebag, but either he is a rapist douchebag or just an asshole douchebag. I think that distinction should be said. I mean, with Tannis Half Elven, they played it off as rape and then they defined it later in a different novel. With this, they don't even address it at all. Just that it happened. You know, you lean next to a girl and she gets pregnant. You're just that potent as Huma's heir, descendant. So the wives have no names, which drives me nuts. I honestly hope for a better origin story for Verminer than this. It's convoluted, at times, totally nonsensical, and completely overly complicated. It's definitely not one of Williams's best books. And if you are obsessed with Verminard, maybe don't actually read this. It changed completely how I felt about him, and not in a good way. If you are a completionist, then you probably already read it. So otherwise, I think you can completely skip this book entirely. I am really bummed as I wanted something so much better than what I got. And I can clear up this entire storyline just with this very brief synopsis. Drop the rune bullshit storyline that was dropped anyway. You don't need it. Cut it out. Just have Luca have two sons, Aglaka and Verminard. And Verminard comes across the magical cave of Tachesis who then corrupts him. Problem solved. All the weirdness of this novel is suddenly washed away. And now you get a solid story about two sons struggling for light and darkness. And that's all you need. You don't need to go all this other weird convoluted bullshit to, I don't know, add pages to the book. You could come up with a really nice, clean, tight, precise premise and build out character. Build out motivation. Build out corruption of good. Build out what it means to be a knight of Salamnia when you're, you're witnessing your son fall to darkness. That is an infinitely better story than what we got. Michael Williams, Terry Williams, what the heck are you doing? And I know this is a done a long time ago. But sweet hell, think about the story before you write it. It, just, it makes me so mad because Verminard is such a great character. Just the concept alone. Tachesis is defeated in the Third Dragon War by a man. She then goes to the heir of that man and makes her, her, her priest. That's a great story beat. Like, how could you mess that up? And yet they did. They did. Fuck. It makes me so angry. So the bastard would not, in fact, take back his bastard, Andrew. <laughs> AS, ASMR, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining live. What's up, Patrick? Thanks for tuning in. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, the companions didn't kill Verminara. Do you think he would have eventually defeated Ariacus and taken over? Mm, maybe. I, I don't know. If it's this, oh, if it's this Verminard, no. This guy's a dumbass. But if it's the Verminard that we were led to believe through the original modules and novel, then yeah, probably. He probably definitely would have. Uh, what's up, Graphite Dragon? How you doing? Uh, disembodied talking head is kind of not sure. 
Do I look disembodied? I guess I kind of do. I should have turned up the light so you could see I have a black shirt on. And <laughs> it's kind of like the head at the very beginning of uh, um, uh, Vincent Price in the House of uh, the Haunting of Hill House, or House of the Haunting Hill. That's one of the two. It's a great horror film I watch every year, but that's kind of what I am. All right, so let's see. The stream dropped out. That sucks. Sorry about that. Uh, you know it's just a trick of the background graphics and black shirt. Yeah. Uh, so you haven't read this one yet. Does it explain why Verminard was dumb enough to give Toda a command position? No. Other than it presents him as an idiot. No. The, I mean, the reality is, is that every, like, capable leader is taking a leadership role. And so you need people to sort of be the shock troop people. And really, all Toad was doing was collecting slaves, ultimately. So you don't really need someone smart in that role. You just need someone effective. And he definitely was effective because Toad captured all the companions. He captured Gilthanas. He captured, like, everyone. <laughs> I mean, yes, he lost them because of uh, the Quantity Elven raiding party, but... You know, that's no skin off his nose. I mean, he still did what he was supposed to do. The guy makes Lauren Soth look like a great slam at night. Straight up he does. I mean, at least on par with Lord Soth. It's weird. Like the corruption of uh, Anakin Skywalker didn't make sense why he turned so bad so fast. In the film, arguably, but in the novel it made infinitely more sense in the novelization of episode three. But yeah, it is like this, this, the, the corruption is throughout the whole novel. So it's not sudden. The corruption of Verminard. It's just all the story beats and the world happening around him made no sense. At least not to me. You know, if you guys who have read this loved it, please let me know why and, and why those weird dropped story beats didn't bother you because they really bothered me. And look, it doesn't take anything but a half a second to come up with a name for Verminard's mother. I mean, it's the woman cheated on her husband with a Salamnic Knight. Give her a name. I, Mary. There you go. Her name was Mary. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be crazy like Dagrafin's name. Just, or, or Lindasha. Just give her a damn name. Then she's a person. You don't give her a name. She's not an actual integral part of the story anymore. And the problem is, is she birthed Verminard and cheated on her husband with the Salamnic Knight. Hence, she's a pretty important part of the story. Why wouldn't you name her? It's ridiculous. So stupid. Uh, you always felt Verminard didn't trust the Dra uh, Draconians. I, I mean, he was a priestess, or he was a priest of Tekesis. He he knew everything. You know, he knew how Draconians were created. He was given total power and total trust. He was wildly successful as a Dragon High Lord as well. And it wasn't until the debacle of Pax Tharkaz that we saw his frailty. I mean, he swept through Ancelon with his army. I mean, he was a badass. Anyway, that's why I liked him so much. And that's why I was so disappointed by this story. But that is it for my review of Before the Mask by Michael Williams and Terry Williams. What did you think about the novel? Uh, do you have a favorite part? Did you mind the story beats? Did you mind the dropped ones? Did you mind the convoluted rune uh, storyline that, that just sort of floated out there for literally no reason? Let me know in the comments below. As always, you can always uh, shoot me an email at info at dlsaga.com. 
I would like to take a moment and <laughs> remind you to subscribe to this Disembodied Heads YouTube channel. <laughs> Ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos and click the stupid like button. All this goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and this channel's content. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. My name is Adam, and until next time, Salon Javon.